Thanks, Margaret. <clears throat> Good morning. I should have introduced myself earlier, and I also should have mentioned this. Well, first, my name is Rob, and I'm a pastor here. We're glad that you are with us. I would have said that earlier, but I was too busy banging on those chimes. Um, we have found in the parking lot a, uh, this key, all right? If this belongs to you, just come get it after the service. We, you know, you can't leave if you don't. So uh, it's a Toyota key. Here it is. It's yours. Some of you are rule followers and you're like, Rob, we got one more song to sing. I see it in my bulletin. What are you doing? Um, We have uh, exchanged that song for the testimony that we just heard. And it is an exchange I would make over and over again because that was a wonderful testimony. And I should have said it when Caleb uh, was up here. Um, Caleb, when he's joining the church, He's not joining the community uh, of all those who have their stuff together. He's not joining the community of those who have done all things right and and found the way all on their own. He is joining a community. um, All of us have rebelled. All of us have wondered. And all of us have a shepherd that has brought us back. So that's the kind of community I want us to be, where the broken and the hurting and those that have fallen feel welcomed here. So we're continuing on in our sermon series. It's been a couple, few weeks since I've been up here. So I want you to think back to a few weeks ago when I introduced to you the idea of one dayism. Maybe you weren't here a few weeks ago. One dayism is this idea that uh, when it comes to the uh, resurrection, we're just going to give attention to it one day out of the year on Easter. You know, we're just going to give it attention that one day. Uh, one dayism is also this idea or this tendency to think, well, yeah, the truths of the resurrection, they'll be important um, one day, like one day way off into the future when I'm about to die. That's the one day the resurrection will really be important to me. And this whole sermon series, Resurrection Matters, 1 Corinthians 15, is meant to push back against one dayism and to help us see that the truths of the resurrection are important every day of our life, in every area of our life, that they touch on our deepest longings, our greatest hopes, our most significant fears. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to make our way through this portion of Scripture this morning. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, by your Spirit, would you help us to hear from you this morning? Would you uh, pursue us with your word? Would you captivate us by your love? We wish to see Jesus. And we remember that the grass withers and the flower falls, but your Lord, it remains forever. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage starts out with Paul in verse 35. He asks this hypothetical question, or he he enters into a hypothetical debate of sorts, sorts, probably from experience. And we read there, he he says, okay, well, there's going to be someone that's going to ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? All right, and let's stop right there. Here we are, reading a letter some 2,000 years old, going on about living forever, life after death, and the logistics involved. And some might be tempted to think, you know what? Um, Like, we're modern people, right? We've moved on from all this. Like, these are the, the, the ramblings of an ancient superstitious society. Like, we're modern. We've advanced. We've progressed, right? We have things like SpongeBob musicals. Like, we're, we're advanced, um, But, you know, we could also open up the Washington Post from May 1st, 
my man Joe uh, passed it on to us a couple uh, weeks ago, some of us, uh, an article called uh, The Long and Gruesome History of the Pursuit of Immortality. And, and in this article, it's interesting, it's fascinating some of the things the author talks about. He talks about a lot of history, but then even in our contemporary day, uh, he talks about, for instance, Google, 2013, starts a small biotech firm called Calico, right, with the objective of eliminating death. All right, then you got the Pay, uh, PayPal co-founder, Peter Thiel. He has pledged to use a lot of his resources. He wants to fight death. Of course, Jeff Bezos from Amazon's got to get in the mix, right? He, he gives some ma- money to uh, a company called Altos Labs. And what they want to do is rejuvenate cells so that they can reverse disease. The article says that by 2025, it's estimated that the immortality industry will be worth something like $610 billion. All right, and it's not just... Uh, it's not just the businesses we're starting today and the, and the billions of dollars. It's also the stories we tell ourselves, right? Um, think of some recent stories. A couple years ago, kids, you might have seen a movie called Soul, right? Won the Oscar for Best Animated Movie. It talks about the great before and the great beyond, this fascination with life after death. Maybe some of you guys watch uh, the TV show The Good Place. Or maybe you've read a story about Harry Potter, Some of you have heard of it. Um, Harry Potter has this line running all through it that's concerned with immortality, right? It it starts with the first book, right? The legend of Nicholas Flamel. And he's got this stone. If you have this stone, you can live forever. And then there's his tombstone, the tombstone of Harry's parents, right? Peter and Lily. Anybody remember what's written on the tombstone of Harry Potter's parents? It's a verse. A verse from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26. We looked at it last week. It says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So surprisingly, it's Harry Potter that brings us back to 1 Corinthians 15, right? And we see that whether you're tech giants or screenwriters, still today we are captivated with questions about immortality and life after death. And what does that look like? Now, I wonder when Margaret read the passage and you heard her talking about kernels and, uh, you know, moons and stars and seeds and um, just dust and heaven. You're like, what in the world is going on? Here's what Paul is doing. Paul is helping us see, hey, listen, there's a resurrection pattern. And this resurrection pattern can be summed up in this one phrase, same but better. Same but better. We see this throughout creation and we see this in Christ. We see it in Jesus. Jesus, um, he walks out of the grave, the same Jesus, right? But he walks out better. For one, he's breathing. He has the same wounds, right, from from, uh hands pierced by nails and and side pierced by spear. He has the same wounds, but they're better. They've been healed, right? And so this morning, we're going to look and see this resurrection pattern, the same but better pattern, and Paul walking us through it by looking at creation, what God has given to us in creation, and what God has given to us in Christ. 
right? Back to those questions again. Hey, um, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? Hey, I'm imagining that some of us have had those same kinds of questions, right? Like, we know about the resurrection body. Maybe we've heard about it, but what's it going to be like? What's, what's the deal here? Is it like, you know, I'm playing my Xbox and before the game starts, I get to swipe through and choose my character, right? Like I get to pick what body I want to have here. So like, I'm going to swipe through and pick like, yeah, I want 20 year old body Rob right there, right? Like that's when I could run the fastest and jump the highest and eat the most. Like I'm going to pick that for my resurrection body. Or... On a more serious note, maybe some of us wonder about our resurrection bodies and we have a leg that we don't have feeling in or we have an arm that we can't use and we wonder, is that going to be healed in the resurrection? Or maybe we think, um, is my mind still going to be tormented with the thoughts of abuse that I've experienced? What, what, what does the resurrection body mean for that? It's funny, Paul asked the, the, these questions hypothetically, and then he has a response. He says, you foolish person. And you're like, that escalated quickly. Like, what in the world is going on there? Why does he respond in that way? Well, remember, all questions happen in a context, right? That They all presuppose certain things. And so Paul's context is the church in Corinth. And remember, the church in Corinth doesn't really value the physical body. They have this notion that the, the body is inherently bad, and so they really don't have much use for it. Remember the church in Corinth? They're sleeping around with people inside the church. They're getting drunk inside the church. And it's really this notion of like, well, yeah, all that's body stuff, and body stuff doesn't matter. Their thought is, hey, the body's not really much use for this world. It's of zero use for the world to come. And so Paul uh, responds with some force to their questions or their supposed questions of what about the body. He says, you foolish person. And he's using this term foolish like the Old Testament. He, basically, a foolish person who is someone who takes God out of the equation and doesn't acknowledge what God has done and what God can do. He said, hey, wait a second. You're not taking God into account here. And then he takes them on a tour. They say, come along with me. Let me take you on a tour and see what God has given us in creation. He takes them on the tour of the garden and of the wild and of the sky. He takes them to the garden first, right? He says, think about seeds. You see the verse there, right? Um, he says, what you, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know what? When you open up a bag of tomato seeds and look inside, what do you see there? Do you look in and see tomatoes? No, you see seeds. But yes, you see tomatoes, right? That's what he's getting after there. Some of you garden at home. Um, the reality is you take a seed and you bury it in the ground and something better rises. Are tomato seeds and tomatoes the same thing? Yes and no, right? Yeah, yes, they have the same DNA, but if I said, hey, I'm going to whip up some of my homemade salsa, you know, cut up some onions, some cilantro, and throw some tomato seeds in there and give it to you, are you going to be excited about dipping your chip in there? 
Like, no, hey, I'm going to whip up some fried green tomato seeds, right? Like, no one's going to want to eat that. No, the seed has a body. It's the same as a tomato, but the seed is buried, and then it rises as something better. Paul says resurrection patterns are woven into creation. It goes from the garden to the wild, and he says, think about it. Humans, animals, birds, fish, all different kinds of bodies. God can create all different kinds of bodies suited to each kind of animal, each kind of being, right? Fish need a body that can glide through water. Giraffes need a body that can eat leaves from tall trees, creating different kinds of bodies. It's not a problem for God. It's, it's sort of his thing. That's what he does. So the garden, the wild, and then the sky. Paul says, look to the heavens. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another of the stars. Think about it for just one second, all right? We have the sun outside, pretty impressive. Pretty, so glorious that if you just go gaze at it a little too long, you will start to lose your vision. That's some serious glory right there, right? But then astronomers will let us know that there is, even in our same galaxy here, a, a sun called a, a hypergiant, right? Another star called a hypergiant that is 1,700 times bigger than our sun. All right, you could fit 5 billion of our suns inside the hypergiant, right? That's a different type of glory. Both stars made out of the same stuff, right? It's a technical term, right? Made out of the same gases, but of different glories. One is bigger and brighter and all around better. Creating things that have same bodies, but different glory, but better glory. That's not a problem for God. That's what he does. Paul is saying, garden, wild, sky, see the resurrection pattern. Our bodies will be the same, but they will be better. And you're like, okay, Rob, but like, what is all, okay, what does that matter? What's all that mean? Well, first, think about to the context of the question. Uh, the Corinthians really weren't concerned about their bodies. Um, Paul's saying, hey, your body's going to get one significant, glorious upgrade. You need to be aware of that. Uh, as far as the Corinthians were concerned, they didn't want that upgrade, right? Like they were like the person that wants to stick with their old flip phone, even though it doesn't work right. You're trying to get them to upgrade to the iPhone and they're like, no, I just, I like my flip phone better, right? The Corinthians didn't want this upgrade. The idea of a better body wasn't good news to them because their idea of an upgrade was no body. They thought of eternity as just a bodiless spirit. And so that's why Paul is going through these links to help them see, like, no, you will have an actual body in heaven. Because you know what? They had a jacked up understanding of what the body meant and what the body was. And I would humbly contend with you that sometimes we have a jacked up understanding of what the body is and how we view it and how we understand it. Sometimes we have the exact opposite um, problem that the Corinthians have. Sometimes instead of thinking that uh, the body is of no value, 
we think that the body is of ultimate value, right? Like the world that we live in constantly idolizes physical beauty and physical strength. Think how much we worship and adore beautiful people and stars, strong individuals and athletes, the attention we give to them. Think about um, the amount of time uh, and energy and emotion we invest into our physical bodies. The way we obsess over them, the shame we feel about them. Think about how much we, in, we think about our physical bodies or invest in our children's physical training and physical bodies. Think about all that compared to how much time and emotions we think about our spiritual lives or our souls. Sometimes we, we have the opposite problem of the Corinthians in that we make our bodies ultimate. And Paul's saying they're important, but they're not ultimate. Sometimes we have the exact same problem that the Corinthians have. That is that we don't value the body, right? Like we think I don't need to be around other physical bodies because you know what? Um, I can order all my food online. I can order my dinner online. I can find a date online. I can hang out with my friends online. I can go to church online. Listen, there is an acceptable reason uh, to, to stream a worship service. I'm glad God has given technology for streaming worship services, especially given what we've gone through and who knows what lies ahead. Um, maybe you're sick. That's a good reason to stream a worship service. Uh, maybe you have a, a, you know, an immunocompromised body or some mobility issues. That's understandable, streaming the worship service. But friends, apart from some of those reasons, we need to remember that we are created to be bodily, physically among each other in this physical place with these other bodies. You need them and they need you. All right, teenagers, you need to be around other teenagers that are going to help you, not just online with them, not just texting them, but in their presence that are going to help point you to Christ. There's this uh, theologian uh, that said it really well. Her, Her name is Trish Harrison Warren. She advocates for what she calls the stubborn analog wonders of skin, handshakes, hugs, bread and wine, faces, names, and spontaneous conversations. And I'm with her. Right? We need to make sure that we value the body rightly and we gather with other bodies. Paul helps us see, hey, our bodies are important but not ultimate. And there's this resurrection pattern that shows, hey, our resurrection bodies will be the same as our earthly body. So they're important, but they will be much better. He points us to creation and then he points us to Christ. All right, check out verses 44 through 49. All right, he's, in those verses, he's talking about a couple of things. He's talking about the natural body and the spiritual body, and he's talking about the first Adam and the last Adam. What's going on here? Paul's saying, hey, you need to know this. There's something that happened earlier in the story that's impacting you right now. Something that happened earlier in your story, Corinthians and Fairfaxers, that's impacting you right now. And I think instinctively we know that, that things that happened even before we were born 
influence our lives right now and really make us who we are. That's why some of us like collect our saliva in a container and ship it off to 23andMe, right? Because something of us knows like, hey, my ancestry and where I come from and what I'm made of, like that makes up, I want to know that. Or we spend all kinds of time on Ancestry.com because there's this notion of what happened before me, the stories before my story impact who I am right now. That's just our instinct, right? Um, In doing some research for the sermon, I found out you can actually send your dog's saliva off and kind of find out its history, right? So what a time to be alive, you know? Um, but, But Paul says, hey, you are influenced by the, sto- the earlier part of the story. That is, you, you have gotten a body from your first ancestor, Adam. Adam's name literally means of the dust. You have this natural body. And by natural, uh, he, he's using that term to, to kind of mean um, not taking into consideration God and his ways, but living only for the earth. He uses that same word natural in chapter 2 of the letter. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So Paul's saying all of us have that kind of body. That's our default body that we've gotten from our first ancestor, this natural body that navigates life. Um, in a way that's centered on just trying to get what we can from this world for ourselves without any concern for our creator. That's the body that you've been given and that I've been given. We have this natural body. But then he says there's another Adam. He says there's a last Adam, and he's talking about Christ here. He's saying the last Adam has a spiritual body. And when you hear spiritual body here, please don't think non-material. All right. When you hear spiritual body, he's talking about um, filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, concerned with the things of God. This last Adam, this Christ, this last Adam has that kind of body. All right. First Adam, last Adam dynamic. Friends, I know it's the weekend. I know it's almost lunchtime, but stick with me here. All right. Because understanding this first Adam last Adam dynamic helps you make a lot of sense of Christianity, all right? And we need to see that. First Adam, first Adam is tempted in the garden and fails, right? Last Adam is tempted in the wilderness and succeeds, obeys. First Adam rebels and runs and brokenness enters into the world. Last Adam obeys and brings wholeness and life. That's why, why Paul says that the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Adam was living. Christ is life-giving. He came to give life. I could go on and on, but you need to understand this first Adam, last Adam reality to understand a lot of Christianity. And he says, you got your body. All of us got our bodies from the first Adam. But you can have a resurrected body from the last Adam if you will just trust in him, if you'll just hope in him. You can have this spiritual body, this resurrection body, this same but better body. And I I love how he says it at the end. We will bear the image of the man of heaven. We will bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's just dwell there as we close.
What's it mean for us to bear the image of the man of heaven? Maybe you're here this morning and you're tempted to think, yeah, because of my sin, I've ruined my body. Paul says, no, the grace of Christ can redeem that and your resurrected body will not bear the marks of your sin. It will bear the image of the man of heaven. Maybe you're here this morning, some of us. Some of us know the pain of physical and sexual abuse. And you think, it was the sin of others that ruined my body. Paul says the grace of Jesus can change that. That in the resurrection, you won't be marked by what was done to you. You will bear the image of the man of heaven. Some of you know that inside of your body, there are cancerous cells attacking you. Or inside your mind, you're constantly battling depression or anxiety. Paul says, hey, you need to be aware of this in heaven, in eternity. Those things will not be so. You will bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul wants those in Corinth and us here to know that there are better days ahead and that there is a better body ahead so that you don't try to make this body ultimate. All right? That when you realize the, the frailty and fragileness of your body, it doesn't lead you to despair, but it leads you to remember, no, because of Christ's grace, there is a better body ahead, a same but better body. And if we live like this, better days and better bodies ahead, it, it changes the way we live and love. Let, let me leave you with an assignment. Again, we're in a school and in an auditorium, so I feel authorized to give you assignments. Um, today in our families, um, with our roommates, maybe in our community groups tonight, um, think about this question. How do we live differently and how do we love differently when we realize that we have better days and better bodies in front of us? When we realize actually creation points us to this reality and Christ points us to this reality, how do we live and love differently knowing that there are better days and better bodies ahead of us? I'm going to pray now and ask God to teach us that and show us that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray you would open our eyes to see all that we have in Christ and all that it means that we will have same but better bodies in the resurrection. Save us from not valuing our bodies enough or from idolizing them and valuing them too much. Help us to navigate our days here on earth in light of our days in heaven. Father, move in our hearts to glorify your